Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 479. And I'm very excited today to be joined by Chope Dirisu. Um, I've been a fan of Chope for a minute. Proper came to my attention, Gangs of London, during the pandemic. That was a series right at the start of the pandemic that I binged. I've had uh, Paparese Adu on around that time and we talked about that he's, he's been on twice n- n- now actually but um Chope was someone that at the time I don't think I was that aware of so he really just jumped out in the show so I was excited to talk to him annoyingly I'm not sure if Buddy Peace will put it in the edit but annoyingly I'd done all this this research and prep right to make sure I was pronouncing the gentleman's name right because fucking hell I have some respect and I'd read it it was, um, I'd researched and it's, it's pronounced sh- shop A. And then just before we went live, I swear the person who was was hosting the, the, the Zoom for us, it was a junket thing, said, okay, uh, over, um, you've got 45 minutes or whatever with um, Chopay. And I panicked and said, I'm here with Chopay rather than Chopay. And, uh, sh- Chope understandably corrected me and it proper like you'll hear the first 10 minutes or so of this I'm not my usual relaxed self it put it put me proper on the back foot and that's my fault to be clear I went in un (laughs) unconfident in my um in my research but thankfully he's a lovely dude so um we had loads to talk about as said I love Gangs of London I love everyone involved in that but then like his house blew me away as a a really well written and well delivered horror, really a, a unique feeling one. It's on Netflix. Give it a look. So we had loads to talk about there. I wanted to talk about stage stuff. I wanted to talk about things like his dark materials. So yeah, it was a pleasure to get to to talk to the big man. Um, Gangs of London series two is what we were there to talk about, which I'm hyped for. I've seen the first two episodes and it's fucking brilliant um it doesn't hold back <laughs> it's 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 off to the races from the start so yeah exciting stuff we're of course brought to you as ever by speech that's my record label that's where you can get all my merch there's loads of good stuff i've knocked 27 percent off almost everything to kind of be a reflection of the average increase in everyone's expenses at the moment. I wanted to kind of try and offer a small token of balance there. So yeah, head over there if you want any of that. Also, bought, as ever, you can support the podcast by heading over to patreon.com forward slash pip or twitch.tv forward slash pipyo where I'm doing loads of streams at the moment. I'm going to be doing a Halloween special soon. I'm not sure when, but I'm going to do an an IRL stream where I take my phone out and stream live from some spooky woods. So, um, yeah, it's not all just gaming. There's a lot of different stuff going on. In fact, as I recalled this, last night's stream involved me unexpectedly watching two different uh, spoken word pieces, both from previous guests, actually. Riz Ahmed... I watched his, his Sour Times video because I was in that years ago with Tom Hardy and a load of other people. And then I watched M- Moose Rock Wonga's Passport and they both always end up making me cry. 
So I was just sat on stream watching poetry and crying. I mean, I'm not selling it well. <laughs> it's free to tune in though. Probably go with Gangs of London series two if you're choosing between the two. But yeah, that's all over there. Let's get on with the podcast. As said, I was hyped to talk to this guy and I'm glad I got to. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 479 with Chopin Dirisu. Right, I'm here today with Chopé Dirisu. How are you, sir? Chopé Dirisu, I'm really great, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm excited to talk to you. Um, but how's it all been going? I I heard you just had to to pause the the previous interview because of of noise next door. Were they working <laughs> out your fight scenes for series three? Or yeah, I think they're just hammering them out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how's it all going? I'm excited to talk to you about. A load of different things. Like we've got a decent amount of time, but um, obviously I want to start with Gangs of London because I've caught you on the day that they've announced a release date for Series yeah. 2. So that must be exciting, right? Are you, are yeah, you excited I mean, like, for to get out there? Lots of people have been asking me for such a long time, when's the next one? When's the next one? Yeah. When's it coming out? Tell me, I won't tell anyone. And finally, like I can like let people know what it is and stop being hounded for a release date. I love it. I love it. And it's kind of, it's always, there's normally no release date and then it'll be like October. And it's like, but when in October? <laughs> yeah. But now it's all out there. So you can can relax on that. Oh, when it came out, it proper, like a series one, it proper blew me away. And you were a big part of that. It was on my radar because of Corinne Hardy and Gareth Evans. And I think I'd, I'd done a tweet saying, when's, what is England's kind of Sopranos or The Wire or Gamora? And a few people have said Top Boy, which is a great shout. And I think it might have been Corin himself who said, like, watch this space. Like, right. we got you covered. So how was it to be part of such a, a show that's got such big stories as such? Yeah. It kind of unfolds and unfolds and unfolds. How was that to... I mean, yeah, I've read the first script of the first season, like, three and a half, a long time ago. Four years ago now, it must be. I could appreciate how operatic it was from the script, you know, let alone what we finally went on to shoot and um, put out. The scale of the series, you know, is something that we're super proud of, something that we consistently try and embrace. But also like all of the different families really have agency within themselves. No one is like a really supporting character with like a thin background supporting this one family. Everybody has got their own machinations, their own nuances. And um, it's just excellent that we were able to deliver on that promise the first time around. And I think we're hoping to try and do that again the second time. 100%. It was was a show that kind of every episode you got, you realised another area that was opening up and it just kept, as you say, more families, more connections. One of the beautiful things about it is, (laughs) in kind of a dark way, it it covers the diversity of, of London in particular, there's 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 so many different and again I've not seen that in many English TV shows and it's well documented the kind of crime history of the UK that it moved from old British gangsters to a lot of Eastern European and all sorts of different countries kind of coming in because it is a melting pot of a city so how was that, like how important 
or was that that we're getting so, so, so many different cultures represented? I mean, it's something that I'm personally very proud of, and I think it's part of the DNA of the show. You know, yeah. it's like the one inch hurdle of subtitles. As soon as you can get past that, and like you immerse yourself in different cultures, and London being one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world, like the junction where all cultures meet and are celebrated. Yeah. It seems ridiculous to me that we've watched depictions of our great city for so long without the people that make it great, you know? Yeah. So like to see cultures represented in Gangs of London and that they're going to get to speak their own languages is like, it, that was a massive selling point for me. And I hope it's a, a massive point of attraction for our audiences as well. 100%. I think the coverage of, of, of class is also something that's really mm -hmm. dope about it because mm -hmm. like i remember i messaged i think it was corinne after the first episode like every british gangster thing i've seen for years has had all the gangsters as cockneys and working class of course we're going to have a second g g generation of gangsters who are posh who went mm -hmm. to good schools who mm -hmm. went to all these things and that was something i'd never kind of seen represented that it's not just all these cockney geezers it's like no no this is this is families like if, mm -hmm. if they've made their millions legally or illegally they're going to be sending their kids to good schools they're going to be getting good educations and and then we get to see the the, the crossover of those worlds as such that was something i really enjoyed about um the characterizations that joe played when he was playing sean and papa when he was playing alex and pippa when she's playing shannon that sort of transitionary generation between like yeah. the sort of the earth people who have made the money by illegal means and who wanted the best for their kids and then sent them to you know people who can live in both of those worlds i thought they all did a wicked job of that you know well speaking of of living in in both worlds that's kind of what your character has to encapsulate and i want to kind of try and even even though series one was you know a while back now I want to kind of try and talk around spoilers, but your character has to is is the one character that seems to go kind of in and out of all of the families and all of the situations. You seem to be the kind of the link between everyone, the good, the bad, and the ugly as as such. Was that exciting to know you weren't going to be just right? I'm over in this corner, and then a lot of kind of Game of Thrones is an, as an easy example that I know people who are on that show who did like three seasons and didn't meet half the rest of the cast because yeah. one lot are filming in Ireland and one are in, you know, over here or whatever. So <laughs> was that good, good off the bat to know that you're going to be kind of fed into all the storylines? Absolutely. I think that Elliot as a character is almost the vehicle by which the audience perceives the world, you know, because yeah. he's an outsider that's coming into it in the same way we are as an audience. We don't know what's going on until we get inside of it with the camera. But yeah, I mean, to be sort of the connective tissue between a lot of the different storylines was definitely wicked. It meant I got to spend more time with more different people, uh, learn from different actors, spend more time on set. And um, it's also a lovely challenge, you know, the duality of that character and who he is to, to different people. It was definitely a good challenge and one I relished. And again, I think like all the characters, the thing that I loved about Elliot was the different conflicts as well. The kind of the clearly knowing what you feel is right, but then it never being as easy as that. Again, I think that's always good writing in, in crime stuff to kind of go, right, we know what you should do, but there's going to be outside elements, there's going to be family, there's going to be, you know, colleagues, and there's going to be all sorts of other things that have to influence that and, and, and leave it making decisions, I guess. Mm. 
You know, it's it's it, it it keeps it interesting and keeps those that drive and that path a little bit more surprising and unusual, right? Harder to follow, I guess, or predict. One of the things instantly off the bat that just grabbed the attention was your fight scenes early on. Um, obviously, G- Gareth Evans and Matt Flannery have done the raid films, and f- so fight scenes were always going to be strong, but. That was a hell of a introduction, right? Um, mm. How was the prep for that? Because I know those guys are thorough, and it's not like a kind of we're going to turn up and go. Oh, here's how the scene goes. How yeah, was yeah, yeah. how was that all put together, and how was that to be thrown into? That would have been an interesting way to work, just like on the fly on the day. But I'm sure it wouldn't have been very safe. You know, <laughs> wouldn't have been able to do all of the, like all of the exciting set pieces that they had in mind. But um, in terms of prep for the first series, I had like a month of rehearsals before we started shooting. Yeah. Go over like two or three fights and like drill them down. Even when I said, oh, I've got to learn, let's move on. They're like, no, 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 you're going to do it again. Because you're going to do this with your eyes closed. You're going to do this like by yourself. You're going to be able to do this with a partner, with a different partner. Because if you keep your steps exactly the same, that's how we're going to get it dynamic, exciting, but also safe, you know? Yes. So, um, yeah, it's actually just a joy working with masters of action, you know, for this generation. These guys are unrivaled. So um, I had a wonderful time learning from them, you know? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I remember when those first couple of episodes came out, I did an Instagram post about those fight scenes in particular. And someone replied kind of saying, thanks, man. And I didn't even l- look at the profile, assumed it was you and responded. It turns out it was one of the big muscly guys that you were beating the shit out of in those, <laughs> in those initial bits. So... It, it must be exciting to, or engaging at least, to, to have that same trust and that same, you know, engagement. Did, was that easy to get that comfort with the different people you're in these in these scenes with? It was interesting. Like there were people that I work with every day and very often, and there were the different actors who came in or different performers who came in for just their bits. And you know, it was like um, it was like a relay of trust. I trusted the coordinators and the people that I knew every day, they trusted the people that they had hired. So the trust between the performers and myself was automatic and their trust was never broken. You know, Um, they showed me care. I showed them care. We respect each other's bodies and each other's crafts and processes. So um, yeah, thankfully it was very smooth working relationship. I love that. Um, And I want to kind of talk about your reaction when landing a role like this and and your own prep because acting can be such a cerebral art but there's always a physical element and with a role like this that physical element is massively turned up and and important because you have to be an intimidating character you have to be kind of slick in these these fight scenes so even before that prep what was your approach in kind of finding the character and making sure you can turn up and and deliver what's needed? Well, I suppose uh, there are two facets to that. There's the um, dramatic emotional side and then there's like the physical side of it. Physically, combining work with my athleticism is something that I've always wanted to do, you know? I've always been very active since I was younger, played a lot of contact sports and done some martial arts in my time as well. So to be able to bring that aspect of my life into work is a blessing, you know? I've always, we've always like watched excellent Hollywood action films and those boyhood moments of explosions. Oh, how cool is that? To be a part of that now is a dream come true. 
when it comes to the dramatic emotional stuff. That's the job, man. You have to like, you have to do your research. You have to do your preparation. Um, you have to talk to the people that you need to, talk to the researchers, read the books, you know, and then also you have to rely on your imagination. Like you can't go into a pub and just beat people up because you want to know what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just uh, let your mind run wild and use that as your stimulus. Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting though as well, because with any kind of martial arts background, you've almost got a be even more disciplined because if you've if you know how to throw a punch and know how to throw a kick you don't necessarily know instinctively how to throw a fake punch or how to pull a punch or or pull a kick so 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 how was that kind of making sure you don't actually walk into a fake pub and beat everyone up um (laughs) but on on instincts (laughs) i think i've got a good amount of self-control and like i take real pride in knowing my distances when it comes to like throwing punches and kicks on other human beings. But anytime I just like brush a stunt guy, I'm immediately so apologetic. I'm like, bro, bro, are you okay? I'm so sorry. And like (laughs) everyone else is furious at me for that, you know, because they're just like, bro, if you just keep going, then we'll be able to use that take and it might look really good. He'll be okay. You know, that's his job. But like, I don't know. Either way, it's happened. So let's make the most of it. (laughs) I heard that Lucian... Uh, who plays Ed Dumani is out here knocking out stunt people with his like hands of meat, you know? I'm just like, bro, you're doing it right if you're knocking people out. Yeah. yeah. I think he was able to like hit the guy, keep moving. And as a consequence, maybe that's going to make the final cut. I'm not sure. You deal with it later, the the apologies. But I used to have that in early days of sparring, man. And and we're meant to be in there punching each other. But if something landed and it felt a bit flush, I'd be like, oh, sorry, man. Like, no, 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 no. Stop apologising. That's, that's what, was, what we're what here to do. What you were doing when you were sparring? Was it boxing or...? Or a bit of kickboxing and and, and a bit of Krav Maga. The thing that always be about that is like when you hit a guy in sparring and you like apologise, he's like, no, no, don't worry about it. It's very often not because he's just like, oh, that was a mistake. He's, he's like, okay, you've hit me now, so I get to hit you back. I get one, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I get one back on you. I'm like, bro, that was a mistake. What you're going to do is like intent. That's not yeah. fair. You know what you're doing. I hit you because I don't know what I'm doing. You're going to hit me because you know what you're doing. That's a that's a different thing. You don't want to hit me so it hurts the most, bro. <laughs> I clipped you. I'm genuinely sorry. Um, well, I mean, I want to come back to more of season two, but I want to jump around a bit in this chat because I also want to talk about his house because I thought that was absolutely astounding. Um, with Wumney, who was amazing in Lovecraft Country, Loki, Lufa, and also some shows that don't begin with L. Um, <laughs> but it was genuinely terrifying, but rooted in themes of displacement and and racism. But it, you know, it wasn't. It was still. It was a psychological and scary kind of film how was that to work on and how was that to be kind of you know for a lot of it a two-person drama as such it was what the two of you were going through that that built up and up a big ensemble piece like gangs of london you know yeah and to have such a gifted and generous scene partner is a dream come true you know Wumi and i have known each other or known of each other for many years before we actually got to work together we weren't necessarily friends but we had a mutual respect for each other's uh, work and craft but it was a difficult shoot for sure and i think shooting horror films always is you know there's you expend a lot of energy being in a state of constant fear yeah um and also i think remy weeks as a first-time feature director did an excellent job you know that film is lauded left right and center it was nominated for a bunch of awards exactly uh, as well as uh Wumi and remy were as well 
And um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't have picked better partners to go through that process with, you know? Yeah. Because sometimes, yeah, Gangs of London is about big crash bangs and wallops and the action scenes are excellent. Um, but also to balance that with just intimate acting, you know? Mm. It's great to have a whole film where I can do that, but also it's lovely to have those moments in Gangs of London as well. Yeah, yeah. How how do you find those two kinds of acting, I guess? Because you spoke about kind of the apology after if if, if you slightly br- brush someone in a fight scene. You've got to go to some heavy and dark places in, in his house. So how is it, how are you kind of when they call cut and... Are you apologetic if you've been if if you've had to be kind of overbearing on anyone, or are you kind of recovering? Or, or what's your 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 method there? I think if I ever have a scene in which like my character is aggressive towards another, as soon as cuts called, I always check in and be like, "You good? We good? Is there anything that is like too much or too little?" You know, I think opening up that dialogue is really important because it it's, it makes the process collaborative. I'm not then being selfish and like, this is what I need for my character, so I'm going to take it and dump it all on you. And we can like agree on what the scene is going to be together and make sure that we're working within the parameters of that agreement. That's really important to me. And you're going to be doing it all day or at least for a few hours. So you can't really do the kind of, I'm going to get all of this out of me and you've got to take it because then it's like, yeah. oh, we need to go again. It's like, yeah, that's not... It's not ideal. Yeah, you have the stamina. Yeah. So uh, can we rewind then and talk about your kind of route into acting? You're a Londoner, right? Where did yeah. you, you grow up? What kind of youth were you? <laughs> I was born in Edgware and I grew yeah. up in Collindale before my family moved out to Luton when I was um, 10, I think I was. And then I spent the second half of my childhood in Luton before moving off to university, etc. Yeah. But um, my path into acting, I had really lovely teachers at school, you know, who really encouraged that uh, exploration of creativity in me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we had former actors who came in and worked with us. We had drama teachers who were just passionate about it and like picked out a talent in me and nurtured it. So I'm so grateful to them for that. And then it, I had I spent a lot of time with the National Youth Theatre of Great Britain. Mm-hmm. I spent about seven years with them between 2006, 2013. And um, once again, found this excellent, fertile environment for me to be pushed and push myself and push others and just like be in this space where everybody wanted to create and were happy collaborating, you know? So those those were definitely important beginnings for me in terms of the career that I've then gone on to have. And how was it kind of making that transition then from stage to screen? Because stage, they always kind of say you've got to perform so that it can be read in the front row and in the back row whereas on screen it only has to be read in the front row because the camera you know the 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 viewer is the front row as such so yeah how did you find that transition in either toning things down or finding the enjoying the kind of nuances or yeah what was your your process there the biggest part of my process, because I didn't go to drama school or anything, that nobody like formally instructed me how to perform like this or perform like that. I really just have to trust the directors, you know, the people who are behind the lens, the people who are cultivating these performances and curating the takes and scenes, etc. You know, I remember the first director that I worked with, Sue Tully, on The Mill on Channel 4. I had really only done theatre in my life up until that point. And I wasn't very comfortable watching myself because I was afraid of the vanity that comes with that. So I really just had to be like, is it okay? And she was like, yeah, it's wicked. 
Is it okay? I need a bit more of this, need a bit less of that. Um, and just being open and amenable to instruction is so important. And then the reverse as well. Well, I remember being on stage at uh, the Piccadilly Theatre and Death of a Salesman, for example, when I really had to lean on Marianne Elliott and Miranda Cromwell, the directors of that piece, to like, oh, you need to sort of turn your body out a bit more so that they can all see you. You need to pitch up your voice at this point. like, And then like, yeah, it's just being open to instruction and remembering that you don't know anything and that there are people who will always know more than you and like leaning on their expertise, I think, is the best way to 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 learn. I, I, lo- I love that. How, how have you found the watching a, a yourself part of it? Now, you said then about not being comfortable um, watching yourself. I still, I have that. I've I've been acting like only six or seven years now, but can't stand watching myself, but know that, I don't know, it's part of the process as well. You should be analysing and, and developing and, and moving forward. Are you more comfortable now or are you still preferring to take other people's analysis? You know, I, I think... I have had to be, especially in the last three or four years, you know, with the advent of technology and um, casting directors looking more for self-tapes than uh, in-person auditions. Like I have to be able to do an audition, watch it back and be like, I'm achieving everything that I wanted to achieve in that take. And that's what I'm happy to put forward rather than just be like that one. But then sometimes I still go on the one that felt best. This yeah. this this performance felt good inside of me, so that's the one I want to share, as opposed to the one that I looked the prettiest in, or the one where I moved everything at the right time, you know? But also, yeah, I have learned to get more comfortable with watching myself. And I think when I do, rather than like being like, oh, my hair's out of place, so like that looks silly, I look at my eyes. I look into my own eyes to see the truth. Like, am I conveying what I want to convey? And if I am, then cool, send it off. Or if I am, then I'm I'm happy with the work that I've done there. And if I'm not, then I'll do another take. Or if I'm not, then you've got to get over it because they've printed it. There's nothing you can do. I love that. I love the the looking for the truth in the eyes. I've I've got um, stammer, and in, in in my roles, I generally I get it under control. I don't have it, but I've had a few self tapes recently where there's been a take I stammered in, but I'm like, but that's the truest take. This yeah, It feels yeah. so f- 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 fucking real. So I'll just do an ident at the start saying, look, <laughs> it's a tough one because it might be, it might rule me out of the role. But I'm like, look, I've gone for the one with the stammering, but it just felt the realist. So, you know, Absolutely. there's options, but it's it's truth there, you know? You know, sometimes I watch myself takes back with no sound. Like yeah. I'm not interested in the voice. I just want to see if those yeah. emotions beats are there can you feel it because I remember once I was taught by an actor who taught me he said that plays especially should be able to be understood by people who don't speak the language mm-hmm. um, enjoyed by people who are deaf and people who are blind you know because it's such, such a sensory experience and I yeah. think that there has to be a similar thing on screen as well you may have subtitles or maybe just be in a different language but like you should see, still be able to see the emotional story of the of the piece like in the performance, regardless yeah. of whether or not you can hear or understand it. Yeah, I love that. And speaking of stage, you did a load of stuff at the Royal Shakespeare Company. I've spoken to to Puffer a few times about doing stuff there. Were you there at the same time at all? No, we was weren't. Was any crossover? No, you weren't. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Mm. That would have been, been been nice to get the pair of you on stage and then reuniting in, in Gangs of London. How was that? How do you still 
want to do more stage stuff or are you fully focused on film and TV? What's the... No, bro, absolutely. Like stage is such an important part of my journey in my career. You know, the first play I ever did was the nativity play at primary school, you know? Were you? I was supposed to be the star, but I got appendicitis, so I couldn't do it anymore. Oh, man. But like school plays is where I started. So that natural transition into National Youth Theatre, once again, that's on stage. I, there was a period of my career where I wanted to be doing a play every year mm. and uh, the pandemic sort of messed that up, unfortunately. And I haven't been able to get back on stage since. But yeah, I think it's a really important medium. It's one that I really connect with, one that I enjoy. I, w- I went to go see my friends at the National Theatre this week and I was just like, bro, I want to be back on these stages, you know, doing this every night, wanting to continually improve and like having the physicality and muscularity for these auditoriums and not just the camera that's in front of you. And I think like the best actors are able to do both. They're able to operate and convey their truth in many different mediums. And that's sort of what I aspire to as well. I love that. Is that something that's important to you in your own progression then? Because the nature of TV and film is you build up to this scene, you do it a load of times on the day, but then it's gone Mm -hmm. and and you're never reflecting upon it again whereas with theatre you are doing those scenes over and over and over and you get to really get into the meat of it I guess and and, mm. f- and find out your best approach yeah it's a different muscularity you know like you have to have a different stamina there's a stamina of like okay I'm going to do this scene 17 times on different camera angles and this that and the other and then it will be done And then there's like, I'm going to do this play for 17 weeks, you know, every single day. And um, yeah, it requires different things of you. But um, I appreciate both forms. I love it. One of your first on-screen roles was in Utopia, right? And that's kind of an absolute cult classic. Like, How was that as as part of a, a learning curve? for you to jump on a show like that what's funny about that role specifically is that you know how you're saying it's a shame that papa and i didn't get to stage at the royal shakespeare company we shared that part you know because he played that part in the first season and then i think he was unavailable to shoot in the second so they're like we need that role we'll have to recast it because it was like a small role i don't think many people noticed but wow I then played that role in the second season uh, and our careers have like, we've gone past each other and then we've reunited on Gangs of London. But that was like the first professional job that I was offered, you know? Yeah. And um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I was, uh, Sam Donovan, I think was the director who cast me in that. Yeah, man, it, it was wicked. It was the first time being on a professional set, you know, it was a steep learning curve, but hopefully I've taken moments that I've learned from that first instance that I'm still using today, you know? Yeah. It it had s- such a specific style and tone and the style of acting as well was really sp- specific from everyone in it. So yeah, that must've been a hell of a one to throw yourself into. Uh, particularly, I mean, as I said, I hadn't realised as a recast character. So there's even more pressure that you kind of, this character's already here. So you need to <laughs> yeah. to find your own and, 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 and slot in still. Yeah. I mean, Jumping all the way forward then, how was it to jump in on his his Dark Materials? Because that's another huge production to be part of from the the love people have for the books to, to just the scale of it as a production. It was amazing. It looked stunning. It was 
it was expensive, it was a huge ensemble. So, yeah, how was that to be? To be you know what? Like, I always saw Harry Potter as one of the who's who's of British acting at that time. Yeah. And I think that his Dark Materials was like the next generation of like British talent, like everybody yeah. was sort of in it. And I only got to be in it for like two scenes across two series and say like three lines altogether, but still to have been counted as part of the cast of that, you know. 100%. Were, one of my scenes was supposed to be opposite David Suchet. Right. And like, wow. I've done as Poirot since I was uh, you, you know? Yeah. So that was, it was great to share a screen with him, even though I never got to share like a recording booth because both of our characters are animated characters. Mm-hmm. So we just recorded our voices for them. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a shame not to be more involved in that, but only because we recorded those scenes during the pandemic, you know? Right. So I never got to meet anybody because I had to do all of my scenes like in isolation to ensure that we didn't spread COVID. Oh, wow. But yeah, I'm still honoured to have been a part of that for sure. I mean, as you say, it's one that you scroll through the kind of IMDb page and whether someone's got three lines or or 300 lines, mm. you know every like everyone in it. You're like, oh, that's there from that and there from that. It's, yeah. it's really one of them casts that you just recognise everyone. So yeah, that's absolutely a, a mad one. So how was it then to return to... To Gangs of London, because as said, it really felt like it was a big launch pad for you into the into the public eye. So, so returning for series two, and again without any spoilers, it's it is a show where big characters die, other characters move up to take their places, and things like that. How was it coming into series two, knowing that you were going to be, you know, a big part in this, a key part? Yeah, I mean, like, it was an excellent, this is important, an excellent responsibility to carry from being a lead in the first series to being a lead in the second series, providing some sort of continuity across the two. We had Corin, who was like a guest director in the first series and then a lead director in the second series. A lot of the crew and cast came back to do a second series after the triumph of the first one. So thankfully, like, a lot of it was comfort and continuity and sort of like business as usual because we knew that we had an audience that had an appetite for the work that we was creating. So we were able to continue to rely on our own instincts, you know, mm-hmm. and our own tastes and the things that we enjoyed making to make the second series. How, how do you find the nature of TV in that, that there'll be different directors along the way? Because in I've seen the first episode of season two and you can instantly tell it's Corin. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's a couple of real, uh, real horror sp- spots in there that are just a little flash of like, yep, yeah, I know who's done this one. And then you've got Gareth, who is, you know, has done so much amazing action over the time. Yet somehow along season one, at least, it all felt seamless. It didn't feel like you're kind of j- jumping in styles, even though it's it allows its, itself to cross styles. How is that as an actor to be um, across different directors? Well, um, when you're across different directors, let's say for any project, not necessarily just Gangs of London, there is then like a a responsibility and onus on you to protect the story and protect your character because you're the con you're the continuity. Yeah. From one season to the next, you might somebody you might get somebody that's coming in totally unprepared, being like, "Okay, you stand over there and say it like this." You like, well, I wouldn't stand here because of the relationship with that person. I couldn't say it like this because like my character has a certain thing, you know. You have to then like defend the integrity of the piece sometimes, but often the director may come to you and be like, Hey, I mean, you know, this character, you know, this environment, what do you think? You know, you get to have a bit more sort of input, but in terms of working with different with Corin and Gareth in terms of horror versus action and thriller, like actually 
both of those genres or all three of those genres were purposefully merged together in the DNA of the show, you know? Mm. So whilst there are more horror spots in the second season than there are com- maybe compared to the first, like there are still, they're still there, you know? There's a continuity of genre as well between one and two. And ultimately as an actor working between all of that, you kind of need to leave that responsibility to the adults, you know, leave it to the director and the producers to ensure yeah. that there's a through line in terms of the themes and genres, but your responsibility for looking after your character is the most important thing for you. How, how was it working with Puffer and, and Joe? Because in, in season one, at least, it's definitely your three characters are the kind of the youth and the future of, mm-hmm. of, of everything that's, that, that's going on. How, how, how were those guys and how was, how was it on set? They're both excellent, excellent talents, you know, and wonderful people. I actually yeah. bumped into Papa a couple of days ago, like long after we finished shooting the second series. Thankfully, the, these guys are like my friends now as well. They're people I enjoy spending time with, the people whose work I really respect and that I look forward to seeing and and uh, engaging with. So, yeah, they're, they're both excellent. Honestly, truly, I'm not even just saying that. They're great people. Completely agree. How was it? I spoke to Papa about this a couple of times, but obviously you know, the first series was a huge show for you, a huge role for you, everything, so much preps, so much work. It comes out, big advertising, everything, and then the whole industry stops because of, of the pandemic. Like, How was that for you personally, like emotionally, psychologically? You know, in this industry, it can be so stop, start, stop, start, and you're waiting for that one thing that's going to take you up to the next level and then the next level that thing came along it's a huge role it's a huge show you get to see that what you've done is dope it's it, it's come out how you wanted it and then the world has the brakes put on how was that yeah man it was a bit scary because like they set up great marketing things that they wanted to do all these billboards buses yeah. uh, events that we was going to go to and it, on a dime all of those things stopped yeah so then you're worried like who's going to watch it you know who's going to know that it's on how are we going to promote this thing? Like, but at the same time, it was almost like the perfect time for it to come out as well because everyone was at home looking for content that they could like engage with. Mate, it was on a bus around my way for about a year because no one replaced it because it was because it was at the point where no, you can't sell advertising on transport at this time. So every now and then. That, oh, that bus would go past my window for like a year. But like, yeah, I've seen it, but but nice one. Yeah, yeah, a year. <laughs> yeah, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to watch it again. It's too terrifying. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, no, like it, there was great concern. And I had, uh, I knew the people who were going to organize the the events for it, being like, I'm sorry, we've got to cancel. I don't know what we're going to do, all the endorsements, et cetera. But I think maybe it speaks to the quality of the work as well, that it was still able to rise to the top despite yeah. all of us being hungry to watch anything and everything. People wanted to watch Gangs of London sometimes five or six times, I've been told, they've watched that series over and over. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was a scary moment, but ultimately we come throughout the other side. How was it when you got word of series two? Because again, it's another thing that at that point in this industry, no one was sure of anything going forward. I was shooting a pilot in Canada at the time, and we did end up going to series, but we stopped halfway through the pilot and everyone assumed, no, nah, that's done. Uh, that's done. That's not going to happen. So how was it to get that news that, no, you are going to get, get... Because if it was a show that ended on a kind of, oh, you ain't seen the half of it yet mm. kind of thing. It ended on a, there's so much more to come. So 
that would have been heartbreaking to not get to continue to tell that story, but it came through in the end. Yeah, I mean, like the the studio seemed really confident that it's going to go again. So, like with that sort of backing or confidence, you're just like, okay, cool. I don't know when it's going to go again, but they definitely wanted to go again. <laughs> yeah. As a case of like some people were tentatively started shooting again in maybe August, September, October, and they were like, we'll go in January. We're going to give ourselves yeah. like the next eight months to develop the scripts. We're going to go in January. Yeah. We're going to go in February. We're going to give ourselves a bit more. We're going to go in March, 100%. Okay, we've set it all up. It's going to go in April. Okay, okay, guys, we want you on set in May. And then you're just like, you're lying, you know? Mate, like, maybe the I'm bigger the to... company, the bigger the caution, right? I had a thing I was doing with Disney, and it was exactly that. They were like, we're going to wait, and exactly as you said, we're going to wait until January just to be safe. Mm-hmm. And then I just assumed it had been cancelled or something. And then I got a call in like August to be like, yeah, we're Let's go. We're going. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh shit, it's still happening. It's mad well, though, isn't it? It is, it is. But I suppose also like, they could have canned it. They could have been like, oh, sorry, it's too grand a project for and us. And they could have done it unsafe. And that's the fucking dope thing. It's, it, it is through them caring about, obviously they're caring about money as well, but you know, they're keeping everyone safe in this situation. And that's that's a good thing as frustrating as it can be at the time. But uh, yeah, they believe in it, you know, so it's great to be able to to come back to it and share it with our audiences again. I love that. Um, Before we start to wrap things up and talk about like what's ahead, I want to talk about some of your influences. You dropped in casually a bit of David Suchet there and Pryro as a kid. Um, Mm. What were you into? What was it that you watched that made you kind of want to do this? outside of having some some good teachers who who led the way and what kind of things inspire you now because i know almost every other actor i know has that thing of no matter how dope the project you're working on is you'll also see about four other projects that you're like man i'd love to be involved in that like that looks amazing that's so inspiring sure for sure Bro, bro, I was a child. <laughs> I watched a lot of cartoons. I yeah. saw uh, the intro to Jackie Chan's Adventures <laughs> on Twitter yeah. yesterday. I was just like, yo, I used to Amazing. love this series. And I suppose like it's good that I mentioned him because he's a massive um, influence for Gangs of London. Yeah, In terms of, of fighting with your environment, there's no better guy than Jackie Chan who just improvised a weapon out of this or like who would dive through the little cash thing you know, like in banks where they serve yeah, you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The little try. He gets his whole body through that little cash hole. It's like, yeah. And kicking like, off walls and all sorts of business. Yeah, 100%. I mean, for me, in terms of action, Jackie Chan is 100% one of them. In terms of modern things, projects that I'm watching now, like I'd love to be a part of, I am fully digging Game of Thrones, man. You know, this reboot yeah. series, House of the Dragon. Mate, I think it's amazing. I, I I think I mixed up what people were talking about on Twitter because I held off for a few episodes mm. and then I put it on and I just think Paddy, M- Matt Smith, who you worked with on uh, on his house, yeah. I, I think the young lady in it who I hadn't seen before, they're just... Really yeah, 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 yeah. Just the performances are just astounding, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just great. The series itself, the content is harrowing like the stuff that they're getting up to is mad but also just like i was kind of worried because i went to the uh, premiere of it and i was kind of worried that like actually bro i've done eight years of game of thrones already like am i really gonna reinvest in this and go again and the answer is yes if you're gonna make work of of that higher quality and keep me engaged with the new characters then yeah yeah i'm gonna follow you i'm gonna follow you to the ends of the earth man um so agree 
yeah, that's definitely a project that I'd love to be a part of. I I started acting as they were on like the second from last season of Game of Thrones, and because of my big hairy face, the casting director Nina Gold was like, "I think you'd be good for Game of Thrones. I'm going to keep an eye on the next season." Okay. Then she hits me back, goes, "I've got the scripts." man they're just killing everyone like there's no one new there's no one new there's no place for you (laughs) everyone's just being killed off and yeah so it's exciting uh, seeing this new one as you say that it's absolutely delivering the stories the characters everything it's all there so so what is ahead i guess have you got any plans or desires on the writing or, or directing side you've obviously worked with some icons in those areas and I said, stage aside, what's what's down the line? I'm not sure, bro. Like, I'm always open to opportunities that come my way, you know, uh, in terms of writing and directing. It's not skills and muscles that I've developed for myself yet. Mm-hmm. I do have aspirations of telling stories in the future. At the moment, I'm really satisfied with the acting that I'm doing and the, the projects that I'm working on. And um, after we deliver gangs, like, I'm looking forward to what next year holds because this year, for example, has been a bit less active in terms of the work, a bit more in terms of the publicity, mm-hmm. um, publicizing gangs and publicizing Mr. Malcolm's list. And yeah. uh, I've been able to like have some downtime. So maybe next year we're going to hit the ground running and see what comes, you know? I love it. Well, I'm excited for all that's ahead and I appreciate you giving the time today. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you so much, bro. Have a good one. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was episode 479. I hope you enjoyed that. As said, I'm hyped for the rest of Gangs of London's series two. I loved the first series. I love how huge it went. Yeah. And series two feels like it's it's not shying away from anything, as I said. But in general, check this man's back catalogue because he's doing big things, in my opinion. I'm excited for all that is ahead. I'll be back next week with another person I'm a massive fan of. And we get into some real good political discussion, all sorts of stuff. It's a really good episode. You're going to really, really enjoy next week. So I'm not going to give you any teasers because you don't deserve You do deserve it, but I'm not going to anyway. Um, all right. I'll see you next week. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.